I mean, even that song, you know, Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found, blind, but now I see. That's what's amazing is the gospel is the key to any of um, our relationships and every one of our relationships. Welcome to the Christian Music Archive podcast, conversations about Christ, community, and music. I'm your host, Dave Maurer. Today, you get to hear my conversation with Jason Fowler. Jason is an incredibly talented guitar player and singer, and in addition to his solo career, he is also a member of the supergroup The Union of Sinners and Saints. That's the group with John Schlitt of Petra and Billy Smiley of Whiteheart. Now, Jason was also an award-winning athlete and attended the Olympic training camp for speed skating. But when you talk with Jason, you quickly hear that his story is about God's redemption, healing, and forgiveness. You see, while Jason seemingly had it all together, he was battling inner demons of addiction and self-acceptance. And to hear Jason talk about it, he tried to fill his emptiness with things that only Jesus could fill. But before we hear Jason's story, I want to remind you that this podcast is a joint venture with you, the listeners. I really want you to be involved by suggesting questions to ask the artists that I interview. And I'd like to give you early access to hear these conversations even before they are sent to the general public. To do that, I've partnered with Patreon. Now, Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for us to connect and create these cool conversations together. So won't you head on over to patreon.com slash ccmexchange to learn how you can be a part of the team behind these conversations. Again, that's patreon.com slash ccmexchange. And thanks in advance for your interest in helping out. Okay, let's jump into my conversation with Jason Fowler. My first introduction to who you were was with the Union of Sinners and Saints album came out. Shame on me. I should have been paying attention. <laughs> well, I mean, it definitely put me on a bigger platform. Um, you know, with music, um, th those guys, I mean, they're legends. <laughs> yeah, they you are. Know? How did you get hooked up with them in the first place? Well, I was recording my second album, I Fall In, and uh, the first uh, album was... Um, Letters from the Inside. That's my first Christian record. I've right. been in music for years and right. years, but my first Christian record was uh, Letters from the Inside, and that was recorded with uh, Jason Horde. Okay. And Jason played with Third Day, and he's uh, done a lot of production work with like Natalie Grant, different things like that, and played on a lot of different albums. But uh, once that was released, I was playing shows around, and I played a show in Nashville, and Billy Smiley was there. Ah. And um, he said, Man, I'd love to come and you know, for you to come up to Nashville and, and re we were looking at recording our second album. So we, we started a conversation and uh, ended up recording there at Dark Horse time. I mean, Dark Horse uh, uh, studio Yeah. and Dark Horse studio was where Billy was based out of. And okay. so I, I ended up um, recording my second album with him and halfway through it, he said, man, I just ran into uh, John Schlitt from Petra the other day. And we talked about starting a band up and, uh, so he asked me, he said, man, I love the way you rock. You want to play some guitar? And I was like, yeah, man. And so I ended up writing a couple of songs on that album. I wrote um, Rise Up 
and uh, with Billy and then also a bittersweet, but um, it's been a blast with those guys. The stories you can only imagine. Oh yeah. Amazing. Now, do I understand you guys are in the process of working on another album, right? Yes, we have been in the process of working on that. Um, we've got several songs. We just did a, a, a release of, uh, I still believe, which was originally a call song, right? A call. Yes. And then, uh, which I love Michael Bean and those guys. And they were actually in the secular world, but very Christian, yep. uh, oriented. And then Russ Taft did it right after. And then, um, I think it was in the Lost Boys, uh, soundtrack as well. But we ended up, um, doing a cover of, that song and we just released a video for it yeah well that's gonna be fun recording with those powerhouse guys those are amazing guys yeah it's been a blast well i have a lot of stuff i want to talk to you about because um obviously i've tried to do a little bit of research so i'm not completely flying blind and you have quite an amazing story which which i want to get to which i think also if i understand right kind of colors the homeless ministry that you and your wife have together hearts across atlanta and and so I'm not sure the best place to start except for maybe the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, the beginning of, uh, where, you know, I started playing music in a, in a family that actually, uh, my dad sings, my uncle, uh, he played guitar and my other uncle, he's, uh, got a doctrine in music. His main instrument is uh, piano. Oh, wow. So, and then my other uncle, Dave, he played bass. And so a uh, pretty musical family growing up in Georgia. We grew up on the Almond brothers and, you know, uh, I, I remember the records in my dad's house were like, I remember looking at Fleetwood Mac and, and there was uh, Boston and Elton John and Allman Brothers, Brothers and Sisters album and uh, Linda Ronstadt and, uh, you know, a lot of different uh, styles of music yeah. too as well. But um, so we would go over to my grandmother's house and uh, we called her granny and we would end up um, sitting around the piano and, Michael would play dobro and we'd all sing either some gospel songs or uh, an Almond Brothers tune like Pony Boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's kind of where it started for me uh, growing up in that uh, environment. And uh, I didn't start playing guitar until I was actually 16 years old. Okay. So did that come naturally to you with all that musical talent in your family? I was in chorus and uh, um, I never really, you know, thought of it as. Um, doing it for a career or anything like that. I never thought I was really that great at it, but I guess I had a knack for it. And, um, you know, after I had started playing guitar, I ended up, um, I actually saw a guy playing a sweet home, Alabama oh. on guitar. And I, said, and I said, what in the world is that? I want to play. So I, <laughs> yeah. you know, I bought my, bought my first guitar. And next thing I know, I'm like, uh, you know, doing pretty decent with it. And, uh, my dad said, if you learn how to play Jessica by the Allman Brothers, I will buy you a brand new guitar. And I think he was probably thinking maybe two or three weeks later, but it ended up uh, that afternoon, I, I went in and played that main riff to Jessica. And so he bought me a brand new guitar. Oh, wow. Kind of, then I, you know, I've always been in sports really too. Okay. So it, it kind of shifted from sports to music um, right around that time. Well, so you've had a lot of family support for your music. Um, all along yes yeah except when you started going into rock and roll and everything <laughs> else that comes with it you know uh, yeah i uh you know i mean my dad always told me to keep my head on straight but you know i grew up in a family where we had struggled with addictions i mean my dad 
thank God he's been sober over 28 years, but I grew up in an alcoholic family and I told myself, I'm never going to do that. You know, my uncle was alcoholic and he's no longer with us, you know, as a result Mm. of this crazy disease. But I, uh, always told myself I'm never going to do that. But I remember 15 years old, a friend of mine, uh, we were, I was definitely into sports and different things like that. But, um, you know, he said, um, I guess it's like every adolescent, we just want to fit in. And I remember him saying, Hey, do you want to go and hang out with my brother and I, his older brother, and we're going to drink some beer. And all I heard was, do you want to be cool? Because I just wanted to, I wanted to fit in. And so I went out that night and drank and, uh, got sick and in trouble, but, uh, (laughs) it, you know, it killed the fear in my life. You know, I was raised in a Christian home. I went to a, a church. I went to a school and a Christian school and everything. But at that moment, I think uh, the alcohol took over as my faith because mm-hmm. it was the fear, the fear killer at the point. You know, I had liquid courage, mm, thought yeah. I could dance better, thought I could talk to people better. But it was it was a lie. And uh, the ultimate fear killer is faith, faith in Jesus, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, that started out uh, a long journey of trouble, you know. So you were at home. Dad had an alcohol problem. Did he see what was happening with you? Did he try to intervene? He was uh, he was in his own problems. He was too uh, deep, yeah. He was too deep. I mean, he had uh, went to a rehab and came back and, and was doing good for a while and then started drinking again. And around this time, my brother and I, we been in wrestling and you know football baseball and I developed this thing called performance-based acceptance where I thought that if I did really good in school or or in um, sports that I was going to get more love because I always got affirmation you know and so my brother and I you know and my sister we ended up really just stacking up trophies and I ended up winning the Southern regional championship for, uh, speed skating and, and oh. went to the Olympic training center no when kidding. I was 16. Wow. Yeah, man. It's crazy. Speed skating. There's a sport. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> but around that time, you know, too, um, that's when I'd started playing guitar. And then I remember going to the Olympic training center at 16 years old. And I, I remember coming back and my dad had not been drinking at this moment, but, uh, I remember coming home and seeing on the front porch a big banner that said, Welcome Home Champions. Mm. And, man, that's all I wanted to be was a champion in my father's eyes. But the thing is, is I was. I didn't realize it. I thought I had to work my way into it. And it's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. He loves us. He wants nothing but good for us. But uh, we sit there and think that we got to work our way into it. Of course, we got to do great things, you know, once we're – we've given our life to him. We don't want to do bad things anymore, but it's by grace that we're saved. It's by his, you know, even though we were still sinners, he died on the cross for our sins, you know? So it really, uh, during that time period, my dad was like, you know, he, it was like, do as I say and not as I do, but it's hard when you sit there and it runs in your family. Yeah. After I took that first drink, I was like, Ooh, I've tapped into something. I think it's going to help me to combat the anxiety or the fear in life, you know? And so I started using it as uh, medicinal more than just uh, hanging out and drinking, you know? Yeah. Now that, that this corresponded with your time playing music. Did you see those two going hand in hand or were they two separate things? It really went hand in hand because, um, you know, like with any fear in our life, you know, some people like afraid to get on stage or, or anything like that. Uh, there are 
ways that we can go about it. We can try to mask the fear with things of the world, which are going to fail us, which is eventually alcohol failed me. Um, or we can grab a hold of to the ultimate fear killer and walk through it with yeah. our relationship with God. And yeah, I really, I mean, I just thought that's what you did. You know, it was rock and roll. You know, you just, everybody drank, you know? Yeah. So I, I kind of went down that road where being from Georgia, I like, I liked all types of music from Michael Jackson to Hank Williams Jr. And, you know, that's just what that crowd rock and roll to, you know, Fleetwood Mac to ACDC to Led Zeppelin. It was just a party. Yeah. And so that's what I did. You know, I just thought it went hand in hand. Well, so you had some success in the guitar world and you had a couple of bands. In fact, you got signed to a pretty decent contract. Yeah. I, um, there was a, I've been in, several different bands when i first started playing um they were trying me out as a guitar player for one of the bands and um he said man uh, just come in and we've got another guitar player but why don't you sing and so i started singing and i started realizing that they were like man you sound really good you know and so um i didn't think i sounded that great but they did so i kept on and started singing and i played in several bands continued partying and then i ended up um getting into a um you know it was a high school band to where we played skate rinks. And, and sure. then I, when I got out of high school, I went to aviation school for uh, a while. And all the while I had this dream inside of my head that I was wanted to be a rock star. Huh. You know, I talked, talked to my grandmama and I said, uh, grandma, I just feel in my heart that I want to uh, play music. And, um, you know, that calling was from Jesus. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize that it was for, he was wanting me to play music for him to glorify him and help others. And I was using it for more selfish reasons. I wanted to be a rock star. Yeah. So I actually got kicked out of a rock band for drinking. And how do you do that? That's um, a tough thing. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start two bands, you know, because my feelings were hurt. And, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to start two bands. And so one of them was really a heavy kind of guitar uh rock band with three piece and then the other one was more of a radio oriented you know pop rock band and being the performance-based guy i was i was you know an overachiever i was an egomaniac with low self-esteem and Mm -hmm. so i just wanted people to love me in any way and when i got on stage and i got affirmation that's what drove me so i ended up um we put a song on the internet if you, it was a contest that if you won the contest, you got a quarter of a million dollar record deal wow. and you, you would get to choose from a whole list of producers. There was like Bob Rock and Daniel, um, Brian Eno. Um, let's see who else. Uh, Johnny Sandlin is, is who we picked, Okay, but, uh, we didn't realize until, you know, a couple of months later, we were like, wow, this is really, it's taken off. And so we ended up uh, winning and got the quarter million dollar record deal wow. and went into uh, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Oh, fun. And I didn't realize that Muscle Shoals was one of the lines in that Sweet Home Alabama song. You know, Muscle Shoals yeah. has got the Swampers. And the Swampers were the rhythm section for like Linda Ronstadt. Uh, I remember Bob Dylan. Uh, wow. There was uh, Rolling Stones recorded there. Um, Bob Seger. Just a lot of different people like Aretha Franklin's respect. They were the backup band for them. Wow. And we chose the producer, Johnny Sandlin, and it ended up that he was the producer on 
that album by the Allman Brothers, Brothers and Sisters, that had Jessica and Pony Boy. And Jessica was that song that I ended up yeah. playing for my dad. And so I thought, man, this is it. Oh, man, we're going we're gonna to be huge. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I thought so. You know, and you kind of go in with this. I don't know. We've got to check our motives in life. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a reason why the two greatest commandments are love God and love others. You know, if we end up getting selfish in our motives. And I, I remember being on top of the world, man. By this time, I was like, oh, my goodness, we are going to make it big. So we went in and recorded the Muscle Shoals, and I was uh, actually having my first child at that point. So there was some fear because by this time, I had started using drugs bad oh. and alcohol. And what I was trying to do is, is just really medicinally take care of my life in a way where faith was supposed to have to do that. Right. And what I ended up doing was more or less just – using drugs and alcohol to find a place where I was comfortable and it, it started working less and less. And I never could get that feeling that I once had. And, um, I ended up just going deeper into, to the alcohol and drug scene. And so here I am on one of the most amazing times in my life where I'm on top of the world. I thought, man, we're going to have a record deal. This is it. You know, we're going to be rich and famous. And I just couldn't keep it together having my first child and I couldn't keep it together. So I ended up just going from um, on top of the world to being more or less um, in an empty place where everything that I was doing was not turning out the way that I needed to. It was one of those things where I was like, man, I don't know what to do other than just continue to try to, combat it with more and more alcohol and drugs and i just went deeper and deeper yeah. and deeper and so we spent about three months um recording and uh then went into some bigger studios and and finished mixing but um all the while had my first child and the one of the most amazing things moments ever is is looking at your child and seeing the eyes of god mm -hmm. uh life um and it really affected me so bad um what happened shortly after that was pretty crazy. It, um, I'm sitting here on top of the world, I thought, yeah. and I ended up at a place where um, God had different plans for me. We had the record deal, and another company came in and said, hey, we want to basically – we bought the new company. I mean, the, the record label. Another company came in and bought the record label, and they, they said, well, we're, we're going to shelve the album. It's not going to come out. Oh. And so I'm sitting there like, oh, my goodness, are you kidding? You're going to shelve the album and it's not going to come out. So everything that I put my heart and soul into, because I put that above everything else, even above God, it, it failed. And that's the thing that's crazy about um, anything in this world we put above God, we're going to lose. So through this whole time, had you, I mean, you had been raised in a Christian family, where was Christ within, I mean, obviously he's always available to us, but were you aware that you were letting God down or was that kind of out of your mind? Well, I was aware that I was letting him down and that's what hurt so bad. I was letting my family down. I was letting God down, but I did, I was so scared. I didn't know how to do it any other way. 
Um, and so when you have that kind of pain that you're walking around with inside internally, you want to change, but you can't change and you failed everybody and everything and, and God first and foremost, yeah. you just run. And that's what I did as I ran. And so after that, um, the band broke up, the family broke up and I ended up going, um, and into a place where I was just trying my best because I had that, that place of, uh, just wanting to be the best, even though I was falling and falling and the best I could ever do got me, um, at a place where I was so bad into addiction and so bad into drugs that I ended up homeless in Atlanta, Georgia. And I had nowhere to go. And it really was one of those situations where I was completely lost and broken and hurting. I can imagine. I mean, you've got, you've got your first child and now you're separated from them. You're separated from family. You're separated from your band. There was nowhere to go but up. Well, you can dig. <laughs> Keep digging. Yeah. And that's that's what I did is because my dad always, you know, he always told me, don't give up. And one of the crazy things is, is I remember seeing my dad at a place where he was um, had been to rehab twice. And, and this was when we were, you know, like 19 years old, my brother and I. And mm. We said, dad you know he came in the other room and he's like guys i'm really 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 sick and we we're like yeah right whatever we already seen you go through all this you know intervention rehab and everything and nothing's working but he was he was serious he was uh bleeding from his stomach and, and uh-huh. from his from his throat and what had happened is um it had eaten a line out of his um esophagus and everything and, and alcohol was killing him physically and so he said, no, I'm serious. We don't need, you know, so he went to the hospital and, and that's um, the last time that he drank and he actually ended up almost dying because he went through DT so bad uh, for three weeks. He was in an intensive care unit and um, then they ended up taking him to a place where he found what he was always looking for, what we all look for, what we all need and what we all crave. And that is a relationship with our Lord yes. and Savior, Jesus Christ, yeah. you know, and, and so for me, I was like, man, I'm at the very, very bottom of everything that I've ever, ever known. And I was running away from everything that I've ever, ever seen and ever, ever been. And I was running away from hurts and habits and hangups. And so when I was homeless, it was uh, 2005. And I'll never forget that day where I ended up uh, getting kicked out of a drug dealer's house. And I said, whoever you are, God, whatever you are, please help me because I need you. Mm. And next thing I know, I'm in a Christ-based recovery center. My mom, who's been praying for years and years for our whole family, um, praying with everything that she had, came and picked me up. And um, my dad, and he knew what I needed. He knew I had to find a place where I was willing to change. And I went into a Christ-based recovery center. And that was December 30th of 2005. And I ended up finding what I was always looking for, and that was a relationship with Jesus. Six months later, I, I accepted Jesus into my heart and my soul, and I said, use me in whatever way you want to. <sighs> and I tell people it's like a country song backwards, and I was like, <laughs> you know, because I was, instead of losing things, I started getting things back. Yeah. And uh, I stayed there for 18 months and, and got a relationship with my son, got a relationship with my family, got a relationship with myself, but most of all, I got a relationship with God. And... That's been uh, over 14 years ago, and since then, I've started playing 
music again, and it didn't happen overnight, but I started realizing that God gave me a gift to use music to love Him and to love others, yeah. to worship Him and to love others. And I didn't realize that at the beginning. I thought it was only for me, you know? So how long did it take you to, f- to realize that God was filling that hole that alcohol was trying to fill? I mean, because that's not an instant overnight thing, right? No, it's not because it's deceiving. Um, when you have something that you can control yourself, your ego kind of gets in there. And that's why addiction is so hard and so tough because when your ego gets in there and, and you start thinking about, like, when am, when am I going to get my next fix or when am I going to get uh, that feeling again or, you know, oh, I got to drink or I got to do something, you know, it to to maintain because – it starts out as a recreational thing. And then for people who are addicts or, or alcoholics, it's one of those things where they're in love with the feeling of it. And you get into a chemical place to where it takes the place of your serotonin and dopamine and it releases. That's your happy things that yeah. your body naturally releases. And um, it starts taking over and releasing thousands of times more than what is normal. And when you rely on that, your body stops producing as much. And then when you go into a place of recovery, you end up getting depressed. And so when I really realized, I think it was at six months um, of being sober that I realized that, you know what, everything that I was, have been looking for, I was in a men's conference and, and they were talking about Jesus and they were talking about, you know, being healed and redemption and the love that, that transcends every love I started realizing that my relationship with my creator, Matthew six thirty three, seek first the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and his righteousness and all else will be added to you. And I started realizing that that is what I need. That is what I've been looking for. And that's what we all need. Yes. We all tend yeah. to put things above, you know, relationships. If I get that one relationship in my life, everything's going to be okay. If I get money, everything's going to be okay. If I get this fame or something, everything's going to be okay. But realistically what it is, is our relationship with God. If we put that first, all things will be added. Yeah. I'm, I'm convinced that we all have addictions of some sort. It might be food. It might be work. It might be, um, you know, substance. It might be sex. It might be whatever. And it's all that we're trying to fill that hole that God has created specifically for him, which is amazing to me that God created the spot inside of us and doesn't force himself in, but says, open your heart to me and I'll come in and I'll fill it and I'll make you whole but you have to let me in it. It's part of that understanding that God wants us to be whole, has created us to be whole. And he's just waiting for us to say, okay, I give up. I need you to make me whole. That's it. That's it. That's what's amazing to me is, is like, okay, we search our life all over. And what there's so many paradoxes that are crazy. And what I mean by that is, I say that. I say awesome a lot. My kids always crack me because they're little. They're two and four. They're like, that's awesome. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So here I am realizing in my life that, oh, my goodness, the things that are actually opposite of what we naturally feel. Like, I mean, to be selfless, that's not naturally something that we do. I, I, the reason why I say that is you put a bunch of two-year-olds in a room and give them one ball. Everybody's like, that's my ball. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I mean, you have some kids that are like, here you go. You know, they share, but ultimately what happens is self-preservation, yeah. uh, you know, just the survival skills and everything like that. We start thinking of our, our self, but really what ultimately makes us feel good 
and feel amazing is giving. I mean, when I met my wife and we started doing the um, homeless ministry, the first thing that I did and I realized, I thought, she asked me, she said, okay, this is when we first met. And her and her friend were going to uh, Lauren, who is actually a partner with her, with Hearts Cross Atlanta with us, uh, her and her husband, who we introduced um, at Passion City. But that's another story. They were going to go up underneath the bridge and they were going to feed the homeless and they were packing that's what they were going to do they were packing some lunches and they said we're just going to go up underneath uh, the bridge and we're going to help some people out and um and feed them and so i thought well if we do that um i could play some music and i said yeah we'd love for you to play some music mm. and uh i thought i was going to go and minister to people i thought you know man here's my story and i'm just you know i was homeless and I'm going to go under there and I'm just going to share that with other people. And I went under the bridge and I'm playing and I'm uh, just seeing the smiles of the people there, their faces light up. Yeah. And, and one, one guy starts talking to me and he tells me how, you know, Jesus, you know, God feeds the birds. How much more do you think he's going to take care of us? Started talking about the manna in the desert and how, um, the manna would go away, but it would come at night and it would be gone. The next day he yeah. provides for us daily. We just have to trust him. And I started looking at this homeless man and I swear I was having a conversation with Jesus and wow. it changed everything. So yeah, it's, it's crazy how some of the paradoxes in life, you know, we can't keep this feeling and this wonderful joy unless we give it away. Yeah. And that's what God says to do. Tell me a little bit more about uh, this homeless ministry that you're doing. Uh, you started, you know, singing underneath the bridge to folks, but what all are you guys doing with that? Well, we have a partnership with Safe House Outreach in Atlanta, as well as we do um, events for women and uh, children's battered shelter and prison ministries and different things. But basically, it's just to share the love of uh, Jesus Christ through music and through just loving on people uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he has called us each and every one of us to do. And so we, we basically go there and, and we'll uh, set up and, and start playing music and feed and have conversations with people, meet them where they are. Cause that's what Jesus did. Just like the lady at the well, yeah. um, you know, he, he'll meet you where you are. And, and so many people don't realize that, that all we have to do is be available to serve and, the, the wonders are going to happen. Um, there are so many times where we go to have an event and it's the storms are building, it's raining, it's outside. Somebody doesn't show up with food and it all works out. We've had just countless and countless times to where there were problems and, and they were solved and they were made bigger and better than they ever could have been by our own hands. So all we have to do really is just be obedient and show up and be willing. A lot of us don't realize that service is the key to um, gratitude and humility. And in those places, that's where our life is golden and amazing. It's a treasure that we tapped into this love of Jesus Christ to where we can just mine this treasure forever and ever and ever but the key is we got to give it away and that's why you know we talk about like you know love god with all your heart all your soul and all your mind the greatest commandment and then at like it and some translations say equal to it is love your neighbor as yourself that's why it's so important through relationships yes and yes. jesus even said to uh he said 
to um, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous uh, man is very powerful. It, you know, those things like that, we have, our duty is to, to focus on ourselves and become what we can from the inside out in Jesus. And that means that, you know, we have to deal with our hurts, habits, and hangups because those block us off mm-hmm. from from having that true flow of, of his, seeing his will for us. Yeah. I mean, even that song, you know, Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found, blind, but now I see. That's what's amazing is this, uh, the gospel is the key to any of um, our relationships and every one of our relationships. And not only that too, um, you think about AA or NA or celebrate recovery, which is where I came from. Um, but also AA too, that all comes from the Bible. Yep. It comes from the beatitude of Jesus Christ and it become, it, it's basically a design for living. Yeah. Well, and it, what you hit on something that really struck with me and part of being in community isn't, I'm going to go change you. It's, I'm just going to be with you. And that relationship then develops into understanding what we can do to help each other, understanding how we can support each other. And sometimes it's just being that listening ear. That's one of the things I think we do. We often try to be human doings instead of human beings. You know, just being in relationship with people is so important. Oh, it's amazing. Small groups is probably one of the best. I mean, because you sit there and and you walk around with a full burden of things that you just don't share. But you know what? We're as sick as our secrets. Mm. We we are we are designed to have counsel with each other and worship God first and foremost. And and when we do that, what happens is is God works through people in so many different ways, especially if we're available to be that. Like you said, we just show up. We just show up. And, and if we have something like, say I'm driving down the road and, um, and I hear a song and it reminds me of someone that I have um, either unforgiveness for or I need to forgive or have a resentment against or anything like that, that is a key. That's the Holy Spirit boost. I mean, bumping me saying, Hey, look, you need to deal with this. Mm. Those are the things that we need to not walk around. We need to lay them down and we need to confess them to each other so that we can be free of it to, to each other and to God, you know, even the fourth, you know, the fifth step of uh, AA, you know, talks about uh, confessing your sins to each other and, uh, you know, admitting to yourself to God and to another exact, um, nature of our wrongs and 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 that is freeing and then we go and we make amends to people and when we do that all of a sudden the channel of of god's love is able to shine through us and you can see that in people's eyes you can see a hard life through somebody's eyes mm. you can see how much pain they're holding on to and if you have like with me i sponsor people and celebrate recovery and, and in um AA and different things like that. And when you look and you see a life change because of going through and learning how to trust Jesus and then letting Jesus run your life and then dealing with, you know, all taking a moral inventory and then doing your amends to people and finding forgiveness, you know, it's by forgiveness that we are forgiven. When you see that happen in somebody, you can physically see their eyes light up. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget when I, when I did my fifth step, uh, I was in, um, recovery house and we were doing celebrate recovery and a guy came in and I hadn't seen him for about three weeks. And he said, so what's going on with you, man? I was like, no, nothing. I'm just trying to, you know, every day, just 
learn more and do the steps and everything like that. And he goes, well, something's different in you. And, mm. you know, and I was like, well, I'm not sure what, what it is. And, um, I said, well, I just did my fifth step and I, I just, he said, that's exactly what it is. Mm. You're free of those burdens. Oh, wow. Same things happen, happens when somebody accepts Jesus, you start to see that things that we used to think were cool and used to, you know, our old life, they start not being as cool anymore. That's that Holy Spirit working in us. And all of a sudden, what we thought was okay is not okay anymore. And it's a slow go. I mean, it's a, it's a lifelong process. We're not going to be perfect like Jesus, but we can strive to be that way, especially when we accept him as our Savior, you know? Do you think that you're involved in the homeless ministry with your wife because you were homeless? I think that that is one of those things where you go, I, Jesus, let me go through what I needed to go through in order to, to be able to be a maximum use for him. Um, I don't think necessarily that I was, that it hit me that way Mm. at first. But as I look back, I go, maybe that is why I went through what I went through in order to be able to just share my experience, strength and hope with people and the hope of the world, Jesus with other people. And it's hard to share with someone who doesn't or hasn't been through the same thing. Yeah. Because there are counselors out there who haven't been in recovery, who haven't been homeless and everything like that. And then nothing against them. They have a great heart and everything like that. But there's something about somebody who's been through it, sharing with somebody else. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like survivors of a shipwreck or survivors <laughs> right. of, you know, you're like, oh, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, I mean, I think that he probably allowed me to go through that in order to be um, used in this way. And I'm so grateful that I'm able to tell my story it's part of my show it's part of um what my show is is really just where i was and what happened and what god has you know so miraculously given me another chance another life you yeah know? i heard somebody say who's actively involved in recovery um recovery ministry he said you know our sponsors aren't people that have all the answers they're just people that have gone through it and understand what it's all about and I think of that as believers, the only thing that sets us apart from a non-believer is that we know the answer is Jesus and that he's still working on us. And it's no different in sharing our lives with other people than it is being a sponsor for somebody else. It's just being in relationship, sharing where you're at and and saying, hey, this is what worked for me. This is what didn't. But just being there to be supportive. You know what? That's what I love about Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate recovery, even though recovery is in the name, it's a celebration of redemption. It's a celebration of, of really realizing that we all suffer from hurts, habits, and hangups. They have different groups for all types. They have an A to Z for different types. They have codependency. They have, uh, you know, uh, it may be uh, chemical addictions. It may be uh, the need to control people. It may be um, uh, different things like that. And what it is, is it, it's, you can get in there in a group of people who have been, who are like-minded, who have been through what you've been through and share experience, strength and hope with each other. Mm-hmm. And that is where all of us, when I went through uh, the steps, I was like, man, this, this is, needs to be done for everybody. And then I started realizing, you know what? It's in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. All of this is in the Bible. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You mean, okay. He's telling us all, but see, we, we don't think, oh, wait, I don't need to recover or I'm not, I'm not an addict or I'm not an you know, alcoholic or I don't have a problem with addiction, but that's not it. That's just one, 
that's the tool that um, that we use. And I mean, I think it's divine, especially being you know that AA was written in um, in 1935, and it comes straight from the Bible, yeah. and it comes straight from the Beatitudes, and then celebrate recovery uses the same steps. It's all Jesus telling us how to live a happy, joyous, and free life, learning how to trust Him, cleaning our house, and then helping others. Well, one of the things that we do, and I know you and I have talked a little bit in the past, we send out a newsletter with prayer requests for people. How can we be praying for you in these upcoming weeks and months uh, as you've got life unfolding in front of you? What are specific things that we can lift before the Father for you? Well, I'm putting out a new album, and um, ultimately, I want people to realize that there's hope in Jesus from listening to any of the songs that, I, that I've recorded. Um, I've put out several singles, and, and I just want to be able to be used where God sees me of maximum service to Him and to others, because I know that's what it's about. And, um, you know, I have a beautiful family. I've, I have a two-year-old, a four-year-old. I have a 19-year-old, my son, who was four years old when I got sober. Um, he got to see his dad being um, in church all of his life except for those first four years which he doesn't even remember that much and and he's a, a good kid and i just uh and my wife uh she's got the homeless ministry uh that we do together and i just pray for all of us as a family to be able to be just you know his hands and feet to be able to 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 help those in need as well as to shine a light for people who may be struggling um for those that may not even see any type of hope that we, we can show them that there is hope. And, and I know that that'll ultimately be Jesus shining through us. But as we all go through this time in our nation um, and our, uh, in the world, you know, with COVID, with uh, the, the division, you know, the social unrest and different things, I just pray that, um, that there is an awakening, an awakening in people, a revival, to really reorder where their priorities are and where our priorities are in life and what really matters, you know, and start to seek God first. And I know that not everybody's going to get that, but I just pray that um, that, that gospel is seen and shown throughout the, the world, and I pray that the music does that. Thanks, Jason. I'm grateful that you took the time to share your story with us today. This is a great reminder that our story is being written so that we can share with others about God's greatness. And no matter what we've been through, our story can make a difference to others when we let the Holy Spirit direct the things we do. Thanks again for sharing. Now, this podcast is a sister project to the Christian Music Archive. This is the website I've been developing for over 20 years that highlights the Christian music we love and the people who make it. I invite you to head on over to christianmusicarchive.com to read about all of your favorite artists, including Jason Fowler and people like him. And while you are there, you can also drop me an email to let me know what this podcast means to you. I sure look forward to hearing from you. And don't forget to rate this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. A positive review and a five-star rating helps spread the word about this project. And I, I hope you'll share this with your friends as well. Well, that does it for this week. Until we get to chat next week, remember that God loves you. In fact, he's crazy about you. <laughs>